Hey guys, and welcome to the Family Business in Dava podcast. We are the voice of African family business, promoting generational wealth and generational legacies. And my name is Susan Tendi. And I am Nikia Amani. And we're going to be taking you through the journey of African family business. Good afternoon, everyone. Hope you're all great. And welcome to AFF Beyond COVID-19 webinar series. It's great to have you on board this afternoon. And it's great to be on the other side of the chair today presenting to you on for proofing the future of the family enterprise. I'm just going to share my screen and we're going to get started. So for proving the future of the family enterprise, why is this important that we build multi-generational resilient family enterprises? I start off with a story that I often tell about a few years ago, a friend of mine, her father passed away. Um, he died in his mid fifties, quite prematurely within a few months um, due to a terminal illness. And my friend was in her twenties at the time and it was really horrible to watch her go through both grief, obviously, having lost her dad, who she was so close to, and also having anxiety about her financial future. And her dad was the main breadwinner, as often is, and he was the only one that really understood what the family business was all about, and his assets were not very well protected. And it was really horrible watching her now having to shoulder the heavy financial responsibility for her siblings that were in university abroad. And ironically, my friend's dad's death, it was my wake-up call, it was my awakening to want to want to see more resilient family enterprises on our dear continent. A resilient family enterprise, it will not collapse as a result of death, incapacitation, economic shocks and change in regulation or technology. It may be thrown off course for a little while, but it will course correct and withstand adversity. So that's what we'll be speaking about today, um, unpacking the importance of building a sustainable family enterprise. A lot of what I'll be sharing with you are both are lessons that I've learned through my personal journey in family business, both through triumphs, and trials. And so why is this important? From time to time, I hear founders say that they don't really desire a multi-generational business. Sorry, may I ask that everyone mutes their mics, please? Thank you. From time to time, I hear founders say that they don't want a multi-generational business, that their obligation to their children stops at providing an education, right? And honestly, such statements break my heart because of the reality of where we are in Africa. As we all know, um, Africa has such high levels of absolute poverty. My home country, Nigeria, unfortunately, is a poverty capital of the world, according to World Bank. We're the poverty capital of the world with over 87 million people living in absolute poverty. 
In Africa, we have 85% of Africans living on less than $5 a day. And so we know that degrees are no guarantee of financial security, right? Our reality is very far from the West, where there are active social safety nets. Family businesses serve as our safety nets. Wealth that ensures that the next generation will have food, shelter, education, access to capital, to start their own businesses, which will be their sources of livelihood. So it's very important that we create wealth and we protect wealth that acts as a shield and a safety net for future generations to come. It's really important that we train the next generation so that they are also able to create wealth for themselves, shielding them from poverty. The second reason why this is really important is to leave a legacy. So beyond promoting multi-generational success of family businesses, this is really motivated by the need for the world to understand who Africa is in so many arena of life. I remember at university watching Chimamanda Adichie, Danger of the Single Story on TED Talks, and it was so poignant and it resonated so strongly with me. The world does not know Africa's view in so many arena of life. And it is our responsibility to showcase who we are by exporting our ideas, our culture, entertainment, goods and services to the global stage. And I believe that family businesses are a great vehicle to do that. Family businesses are also great at traditionally passing down values from generation to generation. And these family values speak to that this is who we are and this is how we do things around here. And we typically will pass these from generation to generation. So not only are family businesses great vehicles to export who we are to the global stage, but we can also pass down our culture, our legacy, our heritage from generation to generation. The third reason why this is important is that affluence creates access. Wealth, it opens doors and it is an enabler, right? To make an impact on a global stage I think the lesson from COVID-19 is that we are such an interconnected global village. And so we ought to think on a global scale. Protection from poverty, yes, that's one reason why we should care. But more importantly, giving the next generation, our children, our grandchildren, a starting point to soar. That's what our ultimate goal should be. You know, the common saying, may the ceiling of this floor be the, may the ceiling of this generation be the floor of the next. That's the aspiration. And so we're creating an enabling environment for that. And my heart is with next gens. I really believe that next gens are in a unique position of privilege and they can use their knowledge, their access, financial capital, to make a positive impact on a world that so desperately needs leaders in action. But we can't have this conversation outside of one of values, because quite often founders will say to me that they're worried that they don't want entitled children that are spoiled, that don't know the value of money. We can't have this conversation outside of instilling strong core family values. So founders, we need to raise stewards Stewards that see themselves as problem solvers to society at large, and we use that can use that privilege to achieve that. Wealth comes with responsibility, it's not a free pass. Final reason is to be a social solution. So, 
in our family business, there's a particular casual stuff that on the first of every month, like clockwork, she sends me prayers, messages, just praising and saying how God will keep me, prosper me and all sorts. And she prays for my children, even though she's given them the wrong names, but it's fine. Um, why is she doing that? She's doing that because she knows that without her job, her three children will not be able to eat, go to school, and have a roof over their heads. And I know that in your family business, you have employees just like that. Employees that are dependent on you to make ends meet. So in a society like we've established, in Africa, where we typically lack safety nets, your family business is their safety net. Communities are dependent on us. And so, who am I? Nike Anani. As I alluded to, I'm a family business insider. Family business has been a feature of my entire life. My parents started off our family business when I was a newborn. And years later, they, my dad would resign from practicing medicine and become a full-time entrepreneur. So today, I wear three hats. <laughs> Firstly, as a next-gen family member executive in our family business, I've been there for about nine years now. Second hat, I'm a speaker, author, and mentor for next-gens in family businesses. Next-gens that are seeking to be effective change agents in their family enterprises. I help them to identify and implement new opportunities, shortening the journey from identification to impact. Thirdly, I'm a co-founder of African family firms, as most of you know. <laughs> so what are the problems family businesses, specific problems we face in this hour as African family businesses? I'm, I know I've sold a lot of us the dream, we've gone high in the sky, and our reality may be far from that aspiration right i face the reality too um the first is we need to diversify urgently but it's a completely disrupted world the storm of covid19 has had a very disruptive effect and in our businesses we may have seen declining revenues cash flows profits and the like it's like a ship that capsizes in the face of a very violent storm the focus initially is come to surface, let's just survive. And then over time, the focus then becomes getting back on course to ensure that we move towards our final destination. But in trying to move towards our ideal destination, we may encounter a lot of debris in the water, forcing us to consider alternative routes. In considering alternative routes, we are looking to diverse in the family business very urgently, other products, other services, other platforms, other paradigms, just to get new opportunities that are viable in our changed world. So we arrive at the destination of financial security. But this world is so fast moving, a week is like a month, a month is like a year, and that high level of uncertainty it makes it quite difficult to pinpoint opportunities and plan to pursue these accordingly. And a lot of us are time poor, overwhelmed with homeschooling, working from home, juggling the balls, such that we're distracted. We can't give sufficient time and attention to diversifying as we really ought to be. The second challenge we face is our very volatile business environment. 
Our exchange rates can be like yo-yos in Nigeria, for instance. Um, inflation is very high and interest rates are punitive, making it a difficult business environment to even build sustainable businesses. The third challenge is the very challenge with change. So Charles Darwin is quoted to have said, it is not the strongest of species that survives, nor the most intelligent that survives, but it is the one that is the most adaptable to change. And so change we must to thrive in these very turbulent times. We may see where we want the family business to go, that destination, but how do we get there? What's the precise route to get there? It's one thing to identify a strategy. It is another to implement such that we see impact, right? And it can be a challenge to get staff who may be used to the old way of doing things to adapt. But we know that the business terrain has changed so quickly and we need them to quickly get it so that we can implement in this new direction to see an impact. The last challenge a lot of our family businesses face is what I term next-gen V founders. <laughs> we tend to have different perspectives, next-gens versus founders. Next-gens, digitally native, technologically fluent, like my generation. We can help a lot at this hour in propelling the family business forward, particularly in thinking of things like digitization, technology, automation, innovation, and the likes. But we come from different worlds. And that can make it difficult to collaborate, right? We tend to see quite divergence, like I mentioned. Um, next gens tend to be millennials like myself. Gen ones tend to be baby boomers. And we have different leadership styles and contexts. So a lot of next gens like myself have spent significant time out in the West. So have very strong Western influences. Trying to bring these ideas home to implement can be a challenge. So we'll speak a little bit on why is it that we haven't seen much multi-generational success on this continent. So the statistics in Nigeria is only 2% of family businesses have survived beyond generation one. If I had a dollar for <laughs> how many times people ask me this question, I would be a billionaire by now. So I have some ideas as to why it is that we haven't seen much success. Firstly, there are three common transitions that occur between generation one and generation two when it comes to business families. And these are that we will typically see a transition of leadership from within the enterprise from first gen to second gen. That's quite, we can understand that. Second phenomenon we typically see is family businesses at this confluence point tend to think about moving from being a national business to being an international business. And the third phenomenon that we see is we tend to see more responsibility to non-family staff in operating businesses. But unfortunately, as I alluded to, only 2% of family businesses on the continent move past generation one. And the estimation is that only 0.05% successfully move to third generation. And why is that? I think it's important to contextualize this. For the longest time, a lot of the rhetoric has been, it's a difficult business environment, it's a difficult political environment in Africa. 
And that's why that's hindering the success of family businesses. But when we look at it closely, we see that a lot of immigrant populations, the Lebanese, for instance, the Indian families, for instance, have managed to build up multi-generational successful businesses. So our high-risk political and economic landscape is not a sufficient explanation. I think the answer lies in the culture in which we're building our businesses and building our families. So first reason we should consider is lack of three Cs. What's that? I believe there are three critical success factors of strong business families. And those three Cs are communication, collaboration, and clarity. Clarity of vision, clarity of identity, clarity of purpose, clarity of values. So that's one reason why we're not seeing as much success as we ought to. The second reason is not professionalizing the business, not allowing non-family leaders, for instance, to rise up to leadership. Instead, we tend to see family leaders still dominating operatorship of the business, whether they merit it or not. A third piece is not integrating and you know, preparing next gens effectively, not developing the human capacity of the, fam of the family. So not having processes and procedures such as what are the entry criteria for board members that are family members? What is the entry criteria to work in the business? And that really stems from family governance. And the last but not the least is over-reliance, over-reliance on either one business or even in the wealth portfolio, one asset type. So we tend to see a lot of concentration risks. And so... Looking specifically at those three common transitions that I mentioned. Um, so in terms of thinking of the sustainability of the family business and the wealth, it requires collaboration. Collaboration between founders and next gens. And where we're not collaborating as we ought to due to that wide divergence in perspectives, we will limit the longevity of the business and the wealth, making it difficult for first transition to happen. The second point is our economies, as we've identified, are quite high risk, uncertain, volatile, unstable in terms of the economy. And for family businesses to be able to achieve multi-generational wealth, we need to diversify, right? Um, international expansion in the business provides a great opportunity to do so. But quite often, founders are often grappled with the challenge of raising appropriate finance, finance that is the right tenor, finance, finance that's the right risk profile, finance that's the right pricing as well, so that they can pursue international expansion. To be able to pursue new frontiers, family businesses really need to go on a journey of professionalizing, instituting more corporate governance, so that they can attract favorable long-term institutional finance by way of equity and or debt. So that makes it difficult for transition two to be achieved. And lastly, but not the least, as family, families move progressively across generations, strategic direction becomes increasingly important. So the most enterprising families globally have been shown that each generation would add a layer of entrepreneurial contributions 
to that of the previous. In simple English, that just means either a new business, a new product or service, a new investment, venturing into a new region, a new partnership, or using new technologies. And so in all this new, 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 next gens are critical. And they must be groomed with sufficient entrepreneurial leadership capacity such that they can contribute through either entrepreneurship or through intrapreneurship. So what is intrapreneurship? Simply, it's where we have a venture, a new venture under the existing family business umbrella. So, or it could even be where we try out completely new industries unrelated to the existing family business. All of these contributions, they require a higher level of strategic direction than previously, where we may have only had one product in one market, right? And where the family's focus has been on the operational business, managing the business, dealing with HR, dealing with payments and the likes, as opposed to strategic matters, the longevity of the business is really impaired. So the family has to take on a new hat, form a new identity, giving room for the non-family to ascend to higher levels of responsibility within the family business. So this is necessary for transition three. And so we'll speak a little bit about Professor Dennis Jaffe's study on 100-year successful enterprises. So Professor, Professor Dennis Jaffe did a study called Resilience of 100-Year Enterprises in 2018. He looked at enduring family businesses that had lasted over 100 years, over 100 families across 20 countries. And he found some key commonalities that I think are very important learning points for us as family businesses. First is he saw effective collaboration between founders, non-family staff, and next-gen. A lot of these businesses were continually innovating. There was a pursuit of these new entrepreneurial activities in each generation, creating new businesses, identifying new products, new geographies, new joint ventures, new investments, new tech. The families had gone through a journey where they shifted from being a family business where the needs of the family is primary to becoming an enterprising family or a lot of people will say a business family that becomes increasingly professional where the needs of the, of the business is primary. And it's particularly important as we move beyond generation two. So this demands a higher level of professionalization from family members where they upgrade their knowledge and their skills. He also saw that a lot of these families stepped back from operations and elevated to innovation, legacy, strategic direction as board members, whilst non-family staff led business operations. And last but certainly not the least, they had strong family governance. And so how can we foolproof the future of a family enterprise? We need to build resilient family enterprises. And a resilient family enterprise, firstly, what is a family enterprise as opposed to a family business? A family enterprise composes of family system, a business system, an ownership system, and as well, in addition to a wealth management system. So it's a modification of the classic three-circle model a lot of us are quite familiar with. And so 
a, an enterprise will capture both the operating business as well as the family's investment. So it gives us a holistic snapshot of the entire wealth, not just the business. And what are the respective roles of each of these constituents? So starting from the family, the family is like the skeleton of the entire enterprise. Without the skeleton, our bodies lack framework. Similarly, without the family, the business often lacks a vision, mission. The family provides support to the business. Usually the founders draw on a lot of support, emotional support from the family, family stewardship, family capital, family trust that they draw on in running their businesses. The family provides movement, flexibility, agility, speed. Family businesses have advantages when harnessed properly over other types of businesses in that they typically are more nimble and can take quicker decisions than a blue chip organization, for instance. There's less procedures and processes to go through, less red tape, so to speak. And lastly, the family provides storage of minerals. So the resources that are often injected into the business, the family's resources during times of difficulty, for instance, or resources from the wealth management structure that are injected into the business. So just as a body without a skeleton is purposeless, if we focus only on the business, we lose out on all the advantages that the family marshals towards the business, and that's trust, capital, and stewardship. And I think it's important for us to, to note that families become more complex over, over time, and they become much bigger. So each generation grows exponentially, as well as more complicated. Children may get married, have spouses, you know, um, their in-laws now to consider. So we really need a structure to manage them, to extract maximum value from them. And that speaks to a family governance structure. And then the business, we all know what a business is. <laughs> and it's usually the main source of wealth for the family, right? So we typically see that in first gen, there's usually a dominant founder that makes unilateral decisions. And this can be advantageous in the early stages of the business where speed is typically an advantage. And as we said, that gives us an advantage of cutting the edge over other types of businesses. But in the long-term sustainability of the business, it actually can be quite detrimental. So as we're moving into generation two, we need to really think about those new entrepreneurial contributions that we mentioned, new businesses, new products, new services, new regions, new partnerships and the likes. It's the next generation group for this. Do we have a collaborative culture to ensure that we have this? Third system is ownership system. So family businesses, like I mentioned, um, we typically see a lot of informal ownership arrangements where the legal documentation doesn't necessarily reflect what you know, the founder wishes or wants and incomplete documentation. It's really important that we pay attention to the ownership side of things because for instance, the example I gave in my opening story with that of my friend, um, a lot of the reason why the family was exposed and financially insecure was there was no will. There was no documentation, um, there was no trust. And so it was open to um, questioning by people alleging to be his children. 
And so we really need to think about having things like clarity. Who are the beneficial owners of the business and the wealth? And we need to document these. We need to think about having well-protected ownership from things like political risk. Do we have a lot of high political risk in our portfolio? Do we have a lot of financial risk? Are we overexposed to the banks? Are all our assets pledged with the banks, for instance? We need to think about that. We need to ensure that the shareholders, the beneficial owners, they understand their rights and they actually enforce their, their rights. We need to think about things like tax efficiency. And lastly, but not the least, at least, is we need to think about clear, defined philosophies concerning ownership stemming from our family values. So I'll unpack that a little bit. So for instance, some families will say that ownership of the operating business or of the wealth portfolio is a right. So if there are three siblings, each will inherit 33, 33, 33%. But some will say, no, it's not a right. It's, you have to merit it. And so depending on whether each sibling deserves it or not, whatever those um, conditions are, would then determine how much of the shares they would get. Lastly, the last piece is wealth management. And so we need to think of a structure through which we're able to transfer wealth from the business, which is typically a liquid, and move it into a more diversified, less risky liquid portfolio. Thinking about things like investment strategy, risk management, liquidity management, and a policy on dividends investments. I'll just speak briefly on resilience. What is resilience? So it's the ability to withstand or recover quickly from difficult conditions. So if we think of a rubber band, we stretch rubber bands, typically they return back to their original state. And that is what resilience speaks to. That's returning to normal state. Typically cotton threads, if you pull them, they snap, right? So rubber bands are more resilient than cotton threads, for instance. We want family enterprises that can bounce back from setbacks and can achieve sustainability. And setbacks could be anything. They could be political, economic, technological, a pandemic, governmental. It is possible for one business to go bankrupt, so to speak, but yet the family enterprise as a whole will still be resilient. And that has been achieved as a result of having diversified. And so I liken diversification to be like a weapon, a weapon that one has been preparing for a day of adversity, but we don't know when that day will come. We don't know the nature of the adversity, but we just keep sharpening our weapon so we're able to attack at the right time. So like I mentioned, we want to build a well-performing performing investment portfolio that has low correlation with the existing business in terms of geography, in terms of industry, in terms of currency and asset class. How do we do this? There are five main steps that we need to consider, consider <laughs> depending on the maturity level of the business. So first thing we need to consider is business structure, foundation. HR, finance, processes, administration. Second thing we need to consider is governance, both family governance and corporate governance. Third thing we need to consider is succession. 
Fourth is diversification. And fifth, lastly, but not least, innovation. And so come to the end of my presentation. Does anybody have any questions? In absence of any questions, thank you so much for joining today and wish you a great weekend. Take care.